0: Good morning, I'm uh, Chris, one of your pastors here, that's, that's what they tell me at least. Um, we are continuing in the book of Esther here, and I, I get I get kind of the fun part of, of the book. I mean, it's all fun, but this, this one's a good one. This one you might have heard before, you've probably seen it in movies and all of that. Um, it's an exciting time in the book of of esther it's an exciting time in the life of israel so grab your bibles and turn with me to esther chapter four (coughs) excuse me always does that i get up here and all of a sudden i got a tickle (coughs) i'm good rich uh dorothy fletcher was uh, a woman who was 67 years old she was on a flight thanks Rich. she was on a flight um, with her daughter to go see her daughter's wedding Um, and she started experiencing some chest pains. Um, That's about as bad a situation as you can get. You're 35,000 feet up in the air, uh, your chest starts to hurt, you're a long way from anybody that can help you, right? So she thinks, I'm I'm starting to have a heart attack. And she says to the stewardess, "Um, I think I'm having a heart attack. So the stewardess says, um, gets on the mic and says, are there any doctors on the plane that can help out this woman who's having a heart attack. And 15 cardiologists stood up on the plane. They just so happened to be traveling to a cardiologist uh, convention and they were all on the same plane. They all rushed to her side and 15 of them happened to be there. Sometimes being in the right place at the right time is a very important part of the story. Um, She was saved, she went on and got to see her daughter's wedding and that story lived in infamy forever. To catch you up where we are in Esther here, um, we, have, we have seen what's happened to the life of this girl, woman, Esther. She was an orphan. Her cousin Mordecai took her in, and over the course of time, she was put into this um, pageant, for lack of a better term, to see who would be the new queen to this king who was not a good guy. Uh, she won the favor of the king, and, um, as she worked her way into that queen palace situation, and she found herself the queen of this very powerful nation. Um, her cousin, Mordecai, who had kept her, last week, we learned, kind of ran afoul of a bad dude named Haman. Um, Haman was of the people of Uh, He calls him the Agagite, which is not a real people. The Agagite was from the king Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, who, if you remember your exodus, um, when the Jews were leaving exodus, the Amalekites were attacking them. And so basically, these people have been enemies of um, the Jewish people for hundreds of years, um, and that's who Haman is, the descendant of this people. So he decides he's gonna kill all the Jews because Mordecai would not bow to him. And that's where we find ourselves in this story here. And um, the last thing we see in chapter three was that a copy of this text about we're gonna practice genocide um, to the Jews has been spread all around the kingdom. And we find ourselves in a difficult situation because how is, where are we gonna go with that? Right? Where is this going to lead? So in Esther chapter 4, let's look here and, and see uh, what it says. Mordecai 4.1, when Mordecai learned all that occurred, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. He went only as far as the king's gate since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. There was a great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict came. They fasted, wept, and lamented, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Esther's female servants and her eunuchs came and reported the news to her, and the queen was overcome with fear. She sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so that he would take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who, who attended her, and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. So Hathok went to out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, ordering their destruction so that Hathok might show it to Hester, explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Hathot came and repeated Mordecai's response to her people. So what's happened here is Mordecai has heard this. Sackcloth and ashes are the sign of mourning for the Jewish people. So he's put on some rough clothes. He's put ashes on. He's showing himself to be in mourning for what's going to happen to the people. Um, and all of the rest of the Jewish people in every province did, basically did the same thing. So he, he sent, Esther sends for him. says what the heck's going on here remembering this that esther has not told the king that she is jewish that's a key part to this earlier in earlier in the book we read that she kept that secret mordecai said don't tell anybody that you're a jew and so she kept that part of her life secret from the king so she sends this she sends this message to mordecai and mordecai sends a message back to her and says look You've got to do something about this. You're in a position that only you could be in right now where you have got to go to the king because only the king can overturn the edict that the king made. So you're going to have to go to him. You're going to have to figure out what's going on and you're going to have to solve this. Let's keep reading here and see what happens here. So Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to tell Mordecai, all the royal officials And the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned the death penalty unless the king extends the gold scepter allowing that person to live i have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days esther's response was reported to mordecai so mordecai says esther you got to go to the king and esther comes back with this this little difficulty here that if you remember back, the king was not happy with the way that the previous queen had handled herself by saying, I'm not gonna come to you. And so he basically exiled her and said, you're out. The king is not exactly what we would call a welcoming husband. Now, uh, Sherry and I have been married 24 years now. We just celebrated our 24th anniversary last weekend, Monday. Thanks. She has put up with me a really, really really long time um and not i can't remember any time where if if sherry wanted to see me or talk to me that i had a scepter you know that's kind of weird like a, a king would have a scepter and his wife wants to come and see him and like okay sherry come on down you can come talk to me but if i don't if i don't show you my scepter then you know it's off with her head that's not exactly the dynamic that we have in today's marriages most of the time. Hopefully, your marriage is not like that. I mean, I'm hoping that's not the case. In this case, this was not like a normal marriage. Esther was facing literal death if she went to the king and the king said, I'm not interested in hearing from you right now. If you, if, if you don't have favor with me, I don't, I don't show you favor, then you're dead. That's what Esther is facing. So Esther goes back to Mordecai and says, look, I understand, I know the situation here, but what am I supposed to do? The king hasn't seen me in 30 days. I find myself in a position where I'm not necessarily in favor with the king right now, and you're asking me to go before him even though the king has not called for me. You understand that if I go before him, the king can kill me. That's her response to Mordecai. A pretty serious, that's a pretty serious thing to face. And in today's world, it might be easy to be like, well, yes, I understand, Esther. That's a very difficult situation. I guess come and hide out with us because we're gonna, we're gonna make a run for it. That would be the natural response, right? That would be my natural response. I would not willingly send you before someone who had the power to kill you. That, that's not something I would do. But what does Mordecai say? Let's keep reading here and find out what Mordecai says in, in verse 13. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this, so Mordecai comes back. He's hitting hard. He doesn't come back with like, "Yes, I'm really sorry, Esther, but you just have to do this because it's our only hope." You know, this is not this is not uh, Leia, right? Where's Alex? This is not Leia sending an R2D2 robot. Said, "Please, you're our only hope." That's not what's happening here. Mordecai puts it on, puts it to her hard. Mordecai comes at her with, with both guns. Look, God will save our people. God will save our people, but if you don't do this your you and your father's family will be destroyed that's rough that's a that's tough now you've got to remember too Mordecai is not just some dude that's like trying to push her out there to do something hard. Mordecai has taken over the responsibility and care for Esther for as long as she has been an orphan, right? So this is someone who has loved her, who has cherished her, who has cared for her, who has built into her life everything that he can do to try to train her in godliness. This is someone who loves Esther. He says to her, go and you're gonna be in this beauty pageant. He watches out for her every day at the gate. He's going to see what's going on with her. He obviously cares about Esther, but now we come to this point in time and we see his response to her does not seem like love to me. It doesn't seem like the easy thing. He gives her no out in this situation. There is no kind, gentle, easy words for Esther in this passage. And we we've heard that for such a time as this uh, a lot, right? It's on all kinds of people's Facebook posts. You know, you're like you get you see all those bibelisms, and you're seeing like for such a time as this, and like they're, they they mean like I'm having a difficult time at work, and so therefore God has prepared me for such a time as this. This this is a little bit more of a veiled threat. Because if you read this in context, it says, you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for t- such a time as this. Mordecai is saying, maybe you have come so that God can provide deliverance from someone else here and you and your family are going to be destroyed. Yikes. That's a little bit different reading than what you know, our Instagram posts would say. For such a time as this. It's a very, very difficult, no-win situation for Esther. She finds herself between the literal rock and hard place. She can go before the king and risk death, or she cannot go between, before the king and risk death. What do you do? I mean, I, I have never been in a situation where I was risking death no matter what decision I made. But Esther is. Verse 19, <clears throat> Esther sent this reply to Mordecai Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king. Even if it is against the law, if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. So good job, Esther. She made the right decision. She's going before the king, and she says, if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. How many of us would have the strength to do that? In, in my worldly, fleshly thought process, I'm, I'm heading for the hills. You know, it's a big world here, and they don't even have telephones back there, you know, much less the internet. There's no GPS tracker on Esther. I'm, run, I'm headed for the hills, man. If it's me or risking death, I would have to say it's going to be difficult for me to step into the situation where i'm going to be literally facing death and esther says i'm going to do it but notice what she says here before she says she's going to do it what does she say here in verse 16 he says go and assemble all the jews who can be found in susa and fast for me don't eat or drink for three days night or day and we're going to fast as well so Esther did not go into this situation just blindly, I'm gonna step before the king and hope for the best. What did she do first and foremost? She gathered her community behind her to support her through fasting and prayer. She knew that she would not be able to do this alone. And so she said, get the community to get behind me in fasting and in prayer so that we can, when I go before the king, I'm not going by myself. I will go by myself, but I have the support of my community behind me. That, that's ideally what we would like to see happen here in this church. When you have a difficult situation, when you're going into something that, only, that you can't face alone, you would come before the church and say, please, please, please fast and pray with me on this one. I can't do this myself. And we as a body of believers would come, surround you with love and care and present that before the throne of God who is the only one who has the power to affect change in this world. We would be able to come around you to love you, to support you, to pray for you, to fast with you so that you are not doing this alone. If you are coming here on Sunday morning and you come in and you sit down and you're happy with just hearing an hour and a half or however long it, it is, and then you go home and you feel alone and you sit on your couch on a Sunday afternoon watching Discovery Channel and you're just thinking, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. And you feel completely alone. Please understand, the purpose of beloved is not just to teach you good Bible on Sunday morning. The purpose of beloved is not just to have a bunch of incredible musicians up here to sing the praises of God so that you can hear it and get that warm fuzzy feeling in your stomach so that you feel like, oh, maybe I experienced God this morning. The purpose of beloved church is to make you a part of a body of believers where you can be known and be loved and belong. So like Esther, when we head into difficult situations, we need to, to gather the people around us in our community so that we can go together and do the hard things. So what happens to Esther here? As we move into to chapter five, we see this showdown between Queen Esther and the king and we wanna see what happens here. So chapter five, on the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom, facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in her courtyard, she gained favor in his eyes. The king extended the gold scepter in his hand toward Esther, and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. What is it, Queen Esther? The king asked her. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, will be given to you. If it pleases the king, Esther replied, may the king and Haman come today to the banquet I have prepared for them. The king said, hurry and get Haman so we can do as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. While drinking the wine, the king asked Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, will be done. Esther answered, this is my petition and my request. If I have found favor in the eyes of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet. I will prepare for them. Tomorrow I will do what the king has asked. So yay, good job, Esther. This is great because the king has accepted Esther. She found favor in front of the eyes of Esther. And the question that I have when I read this is, Esther, you got the king's ear you're right there in front of him. All you have to do, he's just said, you can have everything up to half the kingdom. All you have to do is say, all I want from you is to repeal this law, this decree that you put out said you're gonna kill the Jews. That's the thing that frustrates me so much about this passage, because it's like, we wanna cheer and we wanna yell and be like, yay, Esther, God has provided. And, and like, well, wait, wait, no, she's, she's, she's making a banquet? it makes no sense and that's why i'm stopping here so kevin could do the the last part and make sense of it all but i don't i never understood why she didn't just ask the king at that point and it didn't make sense to me but she did so we come to the kind of middle happy section of the story and this, in, this is like that part in, the, in the, the movies where it's like, yay, things have all worked out. And what we could do here is we can just stop, and we can, we can stop here, and we can say, okay, good. So what this is is a morality tale, and this is an example of how we should live in light of difficult situations, Right? I've I've heard that that message preached a bunch, you know, on Esther and it's like for such a time as this, you it's now is your time to go because maybe God has prepared you for such a time as this. And we could we could certainly do that and there's a lot of validity in that. And in fact, the Jewish people to this day celebrate a festival every year where they do exactly that. It's called Purim. Um, it's a very popular festival and they act out the story of Esther and they've got they've got costumes, and I mean, it's, it's a whole thing, you know? Um, and it's a, one of the more popular festivals that the Jewish people still celebrate. And what they do in that is, look, God provided for our people, and they kind of lift Esther up on this pedestal, and they're like, look, look, this is Esther. She's awesome, and be like Esther, right? But I would argue this, that that is not at all what we're to learn from this passage of Scripture. Because if we go back here, and we look, and if we're going to lift these people up as the people that we want to be our, our, our idols, not like, you know, idols, God idols, but you know what I mean, like American idol, idol, like people that we're, we're looking at for an example of how we should live, I would say, please don't treat me like Mordecai. Like, don't be my Mordecai. Uh, when, t- when times are tough, don't kick me to the curb and be like, look, you're going to die one way or another, so you might as well get after it you know, that's rough, that's rough, don't be my Mordecai, and if, if, if we wanted to hold up, if they wanted this to be the example of how we should live as a godly person, they, Esther would not have balked, right, if Esther was the person that, like, she just was like, yes, be like that, Esther wouldn't have balked, Esther wouldn't have sent that first message back to Mordecai saying, hey, look, you know, I'm gonna die, right, she just would have said, "Um, yep, I got it, I do it, She says, if I perish, I perish. The thing about it is this, that Esther was willing to risk her life for others, but there was always a chance that she would be able to save herself. All she needed was the king to lift a scepter up, right? She was not going to a for sure death. She had an out, she could have run for the hills. She could have decided this is way too hard, I'm out. And taken the wealth that she had gathered in her time as the queen, gotten a horse and ridden off into the sunset. I don't know if they had horses, I'm sure they did, but it seems like they would in that kind of kingdom. But we today have a better example for what to do when we're in difficult situations. In Philippians chapter two, Paul writes this. Jesus Christ says, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, The difference between Esther and Jesus is this. When Esther went before the king, she says, if I perish, I perish. Jesus came to earth, gave up everything to come to earth. And when he came to earth, he did not say, if I perish, I perish. He said, when I perish, I perish for you. Completely different mindset. There was no out for Jesus when he came to earth from the very beginning of his ministry. What did he say? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. They're going to tear this temple down and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Jesus, not Esther, is the one that we as believers today should be looking at as the way that we should live in this world today. So when we come into a situation at work where things are incredibly, impossibly Difficult. We can say, well, I can do it this way or I can do it this way. But what we need to be saying is, I'm surrendering this to the Lord. I'm crucifying myself. I'm picking up my cross and I'm following Jesus no matter what the cost because that is exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. That is the example that we need to use in how to live life today. Not Esther, not Mordecai. The one thing that Mordecai was totally right about was that God was going to save his people. But what he didn't understand was, God was going to save his people through this scenario, but he was going to send another savior that was so much greater than Esther could ever be. That savior was Jesus, and that is who and how we should live. The bottom line is that the gospel calls us to count the cost and be willing to live or die for God. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter three verses seven through 11, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death assuming that i will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead so today as we go as we go into our week this week and we begin to think about how, what are the situations that i'm dealing with that are so challenging what are areas that god is calling me into so we can say we are here for such a time as this i do want to bring that back in because to me that is such a powerful and profound statement we have been prepared For such a time as this, God tells us that he prepared in advance good works for us to do. So as we look into our lives, as we look into our our families and our children and our work situations and everything the world around us, and we see this is the time that we have been placed and how can I live for God in this world today? This is how we should live. Everything was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. That is what God is calling us to. When we're standing before our king looking for the favor of the scepter, don't say, if I die, I die. Just say, I'm willing to die for the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we are in awe that as good as an example as Esther is, that we have such a greater example of how we can live. Father, this morning we ask that you would give us the strength and the power and the wisdom to live as only you could show us how to live. Father, we ask that you would give us peace as we step into difficult situations. Help us, Lord, to be able to live for you and to be able to be willing to live and die for your name because only you are worthy of the sacrifice of our lives. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.